before we pray down, before you sit down, just, he's going to keep playing. I want your eyes closed and your head bowed just for a moment. Because today just, I don't know, man, I don't, I don't know, but we don't just sing songs around here. We are declaring the goodness and the greatness of God. And I know as sure as I'm standing here, with every head bowed and every eye closed, there's some of you, man, you feel like you've been left alone. Life has got you knocked down, beat down, and left you down. But there's a heavenly father who there's no shadow. He's not going to light up. There's no wall that you're behind. He's not going to kick down. And he's coming after you. And my prayer today is that as we get into his word, that you'd receive it and you just simply say, Lord, here I am. I need your touch in my life. God, I thank you for today. Thank you for Patrick and the team as we've led. It wasn't just songs we sang. This were gospel truths. These are truths about who we are. And we are who you say we are. We are accepted. We are loved. We are cared for. We are chosen. We are holy priesthood. We are yours. And God, I pray today that we don't take that lightly. And if we find ourselves distraught, we find ourselves alone, we feel like we've gone astray, that we know that you, as he said a while ago, you are chasing after us. And today, may we be found. We love you, Lord, and we need you in this moment. We love you, Lord. We adore you. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. And everybody shouted amen. 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 Let's just give him some praise this morning, if you believe that. See, that's one reason I love Patrick and our team that leads us. We don't just sing songs around here. Aren't you you appreciative of that? I sure know that I sure am. You know, today we're going to begin a new journey, and we're going to begin this series. Thanks, Patrick. Awesome job, man. Uh, we're going to begin this new series called Actions Speak Louder Than Words. And, and the, the, as we kind of go through this, we're going to continue in the Gospel of Matthew. We finished one last week as we thought about and we looked at the Sermon on the Mount about getting the story straight. And today we're going to continue that journey in the Matthew chapter 8 as we think about actions speak louder than words. So as we go through the series, we're not only going to see the powerful words of Jesus, we're going to see the powerful actions of Jesus. And here's the crazy thing about it is when we see the powerful actions of Jesus, it's a reminder to the Jewish people that are following him. And it's a reminder to us today that he is not just a good man, but that he is God. Now, I want to tell you why that's important today. Because many of you walked in the room today, and you know you're a Christian. You come through the door, and, and, you, and you celebrate, and you, you heard the songs we sang, and there's a part of you going, yes, yes, yes. But at the end of the day, do we really live like he's God? Do we really live like in a moment he can speak it, and it can happen into our lives? Or that we can cast our cares and burdens on him and know that as God, he's going to take care of us? I know we know that intuitively, but do we know it right here? And for many of us, we don't. So I'm so excited to begin this journey because we're not only going to see the powerful words of Jesus, we're going to see the powerful actions of what Jesus does. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 8 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one as you leave today because we believe that you need the Word of God if you're going to grow in your journey with Christ. So grab your phone, grab your iPad, grab your Bible, Matthew chapter 8. Now as we get to Matthew 8, here's what we're going to find out. There are three people that we're going to be introduced to in the stories that we're coming to, okay? Three people that we're going to be introduced to. Now, here's the thing about these three people. Most scholars believe that the events that we see today all occur on the same day, that these three people that we come in contact with include all happen on the same exact day. And as we look at these three people, here's what we're going to find out. Not only does Jesus do miraculous things, but there's a massive takeaway 
for us. So I'm going to ask you once again to stand with me one time, and I'm just going to read the first four verses, and then we'll get to the rest of them in just a minute. Here we go. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 4 is all we're going to read for right now. It says this, when they came down from the mountain. Now, where was Jesus just at? He was on a mountain. What was he doing on the mountain? The Sermon on the Mount, right? Chapters 5 through 7. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Now, think about that. Great crowds followed him. And they, behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed, the leper was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. Now here, have a seat for just a minute. Now, here's the deal. When we look at this first story, the first guy that we see is the leper, right? Now it's interesting, when we finished the Sermon on the Mount, I began to think, okay, you know, what, what's next for these people? And one thing I was blown away with, at the very end of chapter 7, you can turn if you want to, at the very end of chapter 7, here's how the Sermon on the Mount ended. You ready? And when Jesus had finished teaching these things, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. For he taught, not as like a scribe, but as one who had real authority. That's how Jesus taught. He taught with such authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees, but authority. Now, why do they say it that way? Because they understood that his authority must have come from God. Now, the people that were astonished with Jesus, what would you do if you're on the hillside? He's preached a message. If you were really blown away with the words of Jesus, what would be the next thing you would do as Jesus comes off the mountain? Follow him, right? You're going to go, I mean, hey, I got to check this guy out some more. I mean, he just, he just taught us, dropped the mic, walked away. I'm on his team. I'm going with him. So that's the crowd that is following Jesus. And in the midst of him coming off this mountain, a leper comes to him. Now, I want you to think real quickly with me for a moment, the condition of the leopard. Now, you may already know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Leprosy, there were really two forms of leprosy in Scripture. You can study this. You can look at Jewish historians. You can find this out. There were two forms of, of leprosy. Both are terrible. One was kind of a slow-progressing leprosy that eventually could take your life, but it was very slow-progressing. Then there was one that was very rapid-progressing and that would consume your entire being. In fact, Luke's gospel tells us this is that kind of leprosy that this guy had. It was all-consuming, fast-growing. And so leprosy was a flesh-eating disease. Basically, their skin would rot off the bone. That sounds really appealing, doesn't it? Right? And here's the worst part about leprosy. Highly, highly, highly contagious. Highly contagious. And here's another thing about leprosy, you know, especially this leprosy, 100% fatality. So if you attracted this leprosy, you had one end in mind. You know what it was? You're going to die. And it's going to be a painful death. And at least to the point where I was, I was doing some reading, because I kind of geek out about this stuff. But I was doing some reading about leprosy, and it said that it was excruciatingly painful until enough of your flesh fell off that the nerve endings on your extremities kind of died out. Then it wasn't as painful, but you still died. Can you imagine the agony that a leper would go through? And so here's Jesus. He's coming down the mountain. His entourage is following him. And as he comes off the mountain, this leper approaches him. This guy who has contracted this disease, this disease that's highly contagious, and this disease that ultimately will end in his death, and yet he comes to Jesus. Now, I want to just put you back in the culture. This was 100% unacceptable. 
unacceptable that he would approach a crowd of people and that he would approach Jesus. See, he was supposed to be alienated. He was supposed to be away from everybody else. Because if you were a leper, you were highly contagious, and you had to be away from everybody else. Nobody wanted to hang out with a leper. Nobody. So the fact that he approaches Jesus was totally unacceptable because he was supposed to be somewhere else. But you think about it. Why did he come to Jesus? He came to him because he knew that he's the only one that could heal him. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Here's a leper who's supposed to be aside. In fact, I didn't say this, but it's interesting. When a leper would come to a group of people, you know what they would have to do to acknowledge that they were coming? They would have to yell as loud as they could, unclean, unclean, unclean. Think about that for a moment. What would it be like on a Sunday morning if you had to walk through the door screaming out your sin or the thing that was ailing you as you walked through, adulterer, adulterer, adulterer. I mean, how many of you are on board for that one? right? Or lust, lust, you know, thief, thief, whatever it is. That's what, I mean, this disease took them over and before they could enter a crowd, they had to scream out so everybody would know a leper who is hopeless, who's going to die, who we don't want to be around, he's coming. So now just picture with me for a moment. Let's, taking that information, let's guess this. Let's think about this. When this leper approaches Jesus, do you think people scattered? Come on, let's speculate. You think they scattered? <laughs> yes. But guess who did not scatter? Jesus didn't. Here's what I love about the story. We just read it. When the leper came to Jesus, I'm sure yelling, unclean, 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 the people scattered. And the Bible says this, is that he knelt down before Jesus. You know what kneeling is a picture of in Scripture? Surrender. Respect vulnerability, and humility. He came and he knelt down in front of Jesus. And then he offers one of the greatest demonstrations of faith we will ever hear. Listen to what he said in in verse 2. He says this. The leper said, he knelt down and said this, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. That's interesting. He starts off with Lord. He's not just saying, hey, this dude named Jesus who taught a lot of stuff, this guy that maybe can do some miracles, this guy that speaks with authority. That's not who he called out. He cried out Adonai. He cried out Lord. He is saying, I'm coming to you because I believe with everything in me that you are God. Lord, if you choose, I know you can heal me. I mean, what a declaration of faith is that? Now, he comes to him saying, Lord, I want to be healed, but here's what I know. If you so choose, if it's in your wheelhouse, if you have a moment where you think that this is what you want to do, here's what I know, Jesus, that you can do it. Even if you choose not to do it, I still know that you can. Now, would you agree with me that that is a great declaration of faith? Amen? Come on, do you really believe that? Amen? I mean, what is that? I mean, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm dying here. Literally, I'm dying here. And I'm humbling myself before you. And he says this. Look at, look at it again. He says this. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And as I've been wrestling with what he said for like the last couple of weeks, here's something that I've just kind of thought of and I wrote down in my notes. It's not in your notes. I want you to write it down. Here's something I think is massively important for us today. 
Faith is the absolute conviction that God is able. Right? Faith is the absolute conviction that God is able. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? If your kids watch VeggieTales, it was Rakshak and Benny. Do you remember, you remember those? I mean, you remember the three guys that stood before Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, you've got to bow down before me. And he says, listen, king, we're not going to bow before you because we have served a God. He's an awesome God, and I know you can throw us in that flame. And if he so chooses, he can deliver us. But if he doesn't, we just want you to know that our God is able. And what a declaration of faith that was. We have the same kind of declaration right here from this leper. It says, you know what? I have absolute conviction that Jesus can do it. Now, let me, just, let me tell you why I've added some words there. Because there's a difference in saying we believe and have an absolute conviction that we know that God is able. Right? Because some of us, when we talk a really good game, I'm just going to trust God. But do you really? I'm going to turn it over to the Lord. But do we really? Because here's what, if you're like Doug, I'm just going to be honest, if you're like me, here's what happens. I turn over the Lord, and then somehow I begin to think about how I could do better, and I take it back, right? I take it back because I think my way is better. I think I know more. I know the situation. He's kind of busy, so I just kind of pull back, right? Listen, this guy has absolute conviction that Jesus is able and says, Lord, if you will, I know you can. And then Jesus intervenes. And I love this. Look at the order of what happens next in verse 3. And Jesus stretched out his hand, and what did he do? What did he do? He touched him. Now listen, if you're the crowd who is scattered, probably watching from a distance, there's something in you that's going, no, right? Because if Jesus touches him, what does that mean for Jesus? He's going to become a leper. And I just heard you teach, and it was so good. I don't have to abandon you now. Jesus, don't know. I mean, you can just see the slow motion, you know, like them yelling, no, don't do it. And then he touches them. And what happens when he touches them? He becomes clean. Immediately, he's healed. And here's what I love about it. Do you see any ramification? Do you see anything when Jesus pulled back that he had a spot? I mean, did it say, and leprosy contracted now to Jesus? Do you see anything like that? Jesus touched a man who was dying and was going to die a terrible death, and immediately he healed him. Wow. A guy with great faith. And then we see a great miracle of our Savior. He touches him, and he heals him. He is willing, he touches, and he heals. That's the heart of our Savior. Now, as I think about that, here's what I want you to think with me. There's a lot of takeaways we could take from that, this one story. But as I was praying through it, here's a takeaway I think we all need to take with us today. And it's this. is that leprosy is a perfect picture of sin. Isn't it? Leprosy eventually would consume the whole body. Sin consumes our entire being. Leprosy would eat away at the flesh. Sin eats away at our very soul. Amen? Do you believe that? It does. And like leprosy, there's only one person who can heal it. And with sin, there's only one person who can forgive it. And it's Jesus. And like the leopard, we should come to the Lord in humility acknowledging our sin, acknowledging our failures, but with the boldness to say, if you will, save me. 
See, I believe there may be some people in the room today that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. In fact, can I just be real honest? Last week when we had our altar call, I, 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 the only word I could describe the response we had was overwhelmed. It was one of those moments in my life, in my ministry, I was just like, Lord, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. I don't want people. I mean, I want your spirit just to stay thick in this place. Why? Because people were nailing down their salvation. People were saying, I need to know Christ. I mean, it was an unbelievable God moment last week. But as sure as I'm standing here today, I believe that moment can continue because there's some of you that don't know Christ today. And I'm not saying you have the disease of leprosy, but the disease you have is called sin. And if you've never put your faith in Christ, let me tell you what it's going to do for you. It's going to eat away at your soul, and eventually you are going to die, and you're going to experience an eternal separation from our Savior. But if we will have the heart of a leper, and we will come in humility and get our knees before a holy God, and we will have the boldness of a leper, and just simply tell him, Lord, because I know you're willing, would you save me? Would you come into my life and forgive me my sins? The Bible says if we call on the name of the Lord, you shall be what? Saved. Some of you, that's going to take away for you. Now, let's go to the next story real fast. The next, we kind of move on there. So, I mean, if you're the crowd, are you a little bit blown away by what just happened? I mean, you're, you're, you just saw something happen that was like, I mean, nobody thought of this happening. A leper being healed by the touch of Jesus. It wasn't like Jesus just said, hey, be healed, but I don't want to touch you. Jesus touched this guy. I mean, they were blown away. So then it goes on. They continue their journey. It says this in chapter uh, 8, verse 5. It says this, when he had entered Capernaum, Jesus, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, and soldiers under authority under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now, the second guy we run into is the centurion, a Roman centurion. Now, let me give you a little bit of insight into the centurion. He was considered a Roman nobleman, meaning he was the, on the who's who list of the Roman empire. So if you were a centurion, you were somebody. He, first of all, he was a Gentile, right? He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. And if you're not a Jew, everybody's a Gentile. That's who he was. And he was in the Roman military, so this guy was respected maybe higher than anybody else outside of the one that was running the whole show. This Roman centurion had a lot of pull and a lot of weight. And I'm sure because this guy was a Gentile and he worked for the Roman government, the Jews that were following Jesus, those that heard the Sermon on the Mount, who just saw the leper healed, probably were wondering, why is this Gentile coming here? Because Jews traditionally hated the Roman government, and they hated those who represented the Roman government, especially those in the military or leadership. So here's this crowd following Jesus. The leopard has been healed. Now they move into Capernaum, and this Roman centurion, another outcast, comes to Jesus. And I'm sure the crowd must have been, what's this guy doing here? But he comes to Jesus, and so he enters into Capernaum, and this guy comes to him, and listen to this, he comes on behalf of whom? His wife? Nope. His kids? Nope. On himself? No. Nope. Who does he come to Jesus on behalf of? A servant. Now think about it in this day and time. A servant? Really? Somebody who's like, 
not in your who's who of your family list. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an in-law. It wasn't, you know, your parents. It wasn't your kids. It wasn't your wife. It's not because he comes on behalf of the servant. Now, why am I making a big deal of that? Because this gives us a picture of the heart of this Roman centurion. He came on behalf of a servant. Now, why did he come to Jesus? Because he knew something the leper knew. He knew there was only one person that could heal his servant. And that was Jesus, right? Only one person. Now listen, if he was a Roman centurion and he was the who's who in the Roman government, do you think he had a lot of strength he could have pulled to get the best medical doctors to his servant? Do you think he had at his disposal anything? He could have grabbed any witch doctor, any gypsy, any MD, any whoever you want to grab. He could have grabbed any of them to go see his servant. But he knew there's a guy in town. He's the only one that can heal my servant. So he goes to Jesus. And I love what Jesus says. Jesus, he comes to him and he tells him what happened. He said, I got a servant who's paralyzed. They're laying there. They're, they're in terrible pain. And Jesus says this, I'll come heal him. And then listen to what he says next. I love this because this is a great declaration of his faith. Look at me in verse 8 and 9. It says this. But the centurion replied, Lord. Now, once again, he's not saying, hey, dude. Hey, Jewish guy. Hey, rabbi, who's a great teacher. He says, Lord. Now, so what is he implying? That I see you as somebody that most people don't see you as. I see you as who? God. Lord. These are big words. He says, verse 8, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority. And then he explains this whole authority thing. He's like, if I tell them to go, they go. If I tell them to come, they come. And I understand that. So he's saying to him, Lord, I've come to you. And all you have to do, Lord, is just simply speak the words. Now think about that. He said, I don't want you to come touch them. I want you to speak the words. Now, when you think about that, we all know Jesus on this side of the cross. And so we look at that and go, yeah, why would we would have the same idea? No, we wouldn't. I mean, if I had somebody that I cared about and loved that I knew was sick, I would want Jesus to show up in my house and touch them, lay hands on them, whatever he had to do to raise them from that state. Wouldn't you want the same thing? But this guy's faith was, hey, look, I don't need you to come. First of all, I'm unworthy. All I need you to do is simply Say the words, and it will happen. So here's something he's acknowledging with this whole authority thing. He says, I, I'm a man of authority, but my authority is not like your authority. I boss people around. You have authority over disease. And you don't even have to touch it. All you have to do is speak it. So Jesus, if you would just simply say the words, you don't even have to go. My servant will be here. I mean, let's think about that faith. He said, listen, I'm a man of clout. I'm a man who's on the who's who of the Roman Empire. When I say things, people jump. But you're not, I'm not asking you to make people jump. I'm asking you to cure disease, and you have that authority. You speak to disease, and it goes away. You speak to demons, and they're cast out. You have authority, and all that I need you to do, Jesus, is just simply say the words. And I know that it will be done. And she might have been miles away. The servant might have been miles away. See, here's what this, this Roman centurion understood. He not only understood authority, but he understood the reach of Jesus' power. Everybody listen to me. He understood the reach of Jesus' power. Now, I'm going to tell you, some of you may have some prodigal children. Some of you may have some disenfranchised relationships with your family. Some of you got some people in your life that you look at them and go, it would take a miracle 
to bring them back to the fold. Well, listen to me. Do you truly understand the power of Jesus' authority? Because there is no, there is no path that anyone can go far enough that he can't get to them. He understood the reach of Jesus' authority and his power. And then look what happens next, what Jesus says. I love this, verse 10. He says this, Jesus heard this, and I have the circle in my Bible, and he marveled and said to those who follow him, truly I say to you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many of you will come from the east and the west, and you will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing teeth. In other words, there's many of you that just simply think because you're Jewish people, you're in. And you're wrong. It takes faith. And he said, even, even through the journeys that I've been up to this point, I found nobody in the nation of Israel that has had the same kind of faith as this Gentile Roman centurion. Do you know there's only two places in Scripture it says that Jesus marveled? This is one of them. At the faith of a Gentile. The faith of an outcast. Do you know what the second time he marveled was? Is it the unbelief of the Jewish people? Twice Jesus marveled. Twice he was blown away. One is the faith of a, what would have been considered a heathen of the day. And one was at the disbelief of the very people he came for, his race, his Jewish nation. And Jesus marveled. And he says this, there's no one of our, all of Israel who's displayed this much humility, this, this, this much love, sincerity, or faith. I found no one. Who can measure up to this guy's faith in me? Why, why did this guy have faith? Because he had an absolute conviction that Jesus was what? Able. He had an absolute conviction that Jesus could just say the words and it would happen. Now, I just have a quick question before going to the next person, before we kind of look at the takeaway here. Do you have that kind of conviction? Do you have the kind of conviction that you say that I, I know that Jesus is able, whether he does or not, that I know that he is able to address it, that my marriage is falling apart, and I know that he is able to put it back together. My finances are really out of control, but I know that Jesus is able to put them back together. I mean, do we have the kind of unbelievable, absolute conviction that says, I know that my God is able? Do we have that kind of conviction? Because if we don't, we're going to try to figure out this mess on our own aren't we? We're going to try to figure out how we can fix our finances, how we can fix our marriage. And at some point, we just got to stop and go, I need to go to the only one that can heal me. I need the only one that can fix my issues, and it is Jesus and only Jesus. So here's the takeaway, you think, as you look at this passage. The centurion trusted in the power of Jesus, not himself, right? Are you with me this morning? So I'm with you. I mean, he did not trust his own power. He didn't trust his ability to muster up to get his servant fixed. He trusted in the power of Jesus. Now listen to this. It wasn't the quantity of his faith that made a difference. It was the object of his faith that made a difference. Right? It wasn't the how much faith he could muster up. It was the person he put his faith into, which was Jesus. Can I tell you that sometimes in my life, my faith is very, very weak? Anybody else wrestle with that? In fact, how many times in Scripture do we see Jesus says, O ye of little faith? We all go through it. And, I, you know, I stand, I stand probably, you know, uh, 
uh, convicted of the fact that sometimes when I go through that, I feel like maybe God is not going to work on my behalf. But listen to me, the, 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 the point of my faith and the value of my faith is not how much faith I can muster up. It's in the object of my faith. My faith is not in Doug. My faith is in my King of Kings and my Lord of Lords. My faith is in my Savior, Jesus, to do all that he promised he would do. So it's not about the quantity of faith. It's about the object of our faith. This guy's faith led him to action, right? He believed that Jesus could do it. So what did he do? He went to Jesus. Here's a question for you to think about. Does your faith lead to action? Man, we can talk a good game, can't we? I mean, listen, I, you guys are awesome. I love this church. You are like a family to us. But I, a part of the family, let's just, let's just call it what it is. Sometimes, are you like Doug and you can talk a really good game? I mean, I know the right church lingo. I know the right things. I know how to say praise the Lord that make you feel like, oh, man, he's just all into it. Or, you know, bless God. I mean, we know the right stuff. But is my faith moving me to action? I mean, if I'm struggling in an area, is it drawing me to surrender that to the Lord or not? See, I'll say it's drawing me, but then again, I'll think, well, you know, maybe I can handle it on my own. This guy's faith, his absolute conviction that Jesus able led him to go to Jesus. My question is, is your faith doing the same thing for you? Do you have this kind of faith? Then there's one more character we see quickly, and it's this person. It's the mother-in-law of Peter, which is interesting, because many in the church growing up feel like Peter was celibate, that he never was married, and this passage reminds us that Peter was married, which makes the calling of Peter even more significant, that Peter even walked away at some level from his family to follow Jesus. And look at what it says here in chapter Eight, verse 14, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many others who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out those spirits with a what? With a what? Word. And healed those who were sick. This all was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. So the last person we run into, we have the leper, the centurion, but now we have the relative. We have Peter's mother-in-law. Now let me just say this to you. It's interesting that Matthew would highlight a woman. Now not offending anybody, right? We're on the same page here. But in that culture, women were not valued like they should have been. Amen, women? Some of you aren't convinced of that, but they should have been, right? But they weren't. They were, in fact, treated sometimes worse than slaves or servants. So they weren't treated well. So Jesus enters Peter's house to this woman who's an outcast by society. Now, have you gotten a picture here that we've been introduced to three outcasts already? There's a leper, a Roman centurion, and now a woman. So we've kind of been introduced to this whole outcast idea. I hope you're getting that picture. And Jesus enters in, and he goes to the mother-in-law who's got a fever and is sick. And not only does he remove her fever, he restores her ability to serve. I want you to look at that again with me, what it says. Here we go, because this is big. He touched her hand, and fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. Now, if you read that through a non-spiritual lens, here's the conclusion you're going to come to. Jesus only healed her because he was hungry and needed something to eat, and she had to make the meal. Right? So he healed her, she gets up, and she goes to bed. That's not what it means. Do you know that in that day and time, that hospitality in the home was one of the most important things in the culture? And we won't get into this, but even at the table where you sit, there were seats of honor, even with the way they ate. 
So when you get to the Lord's Supper, it's really interesting how all that fleshes out. And when you get to 1 Corinthians, how they, how, they, how they set and how they don't set, Paul really hammers them. Why? Because hospitality was such an issue. And if you were the matriarch of the house, like Peter's mother-in-law, then one of the greatest roles that you had was to serve the household. Now, it wasn't a means of being a servant. It wasn't a means as, as being kind of under everybody else. It was your way of self-respect, and it was your dignity to serve your house well. That makes sense? She couldn't do it. She's feverish, sick. Most translations would say, give the idea that she was almost to the point of death. And Jesus walks in and he removes the fever and he restores her ability to serve. Meaning, not only does he take the fever away, but he also restores her dignity. And she gets up and she serves him. And then when that happens, they just start bringing people to him like crazy. And he's cast out demons and he's healing the sick. Now listen, when you think about this passage, here's the takeaway from us. Jesus has just proven that he has all authority over disease and demons. He can touch it and heal it or he can just speak the word and he can heal it. Now think about that. Wouldn't you love that kind of power? Come on, look at me. Wouldn't you love that kind of power that you could just speak the words and it happen? I mean, especially as a parent. Don't you wish it could happen? Kids, clean your rooms. Bam, it just happened. That doesn't ever happen, does it? But think about it. There is power in the word. And I said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I love in Genesis where God said six times, let it be, and it was. That's the authority that Jesus is speaking with. So when he said, let, you know, cast the demons out with the word, they were gone. When he went to, to the Roman centurion and said, I'll do it, and he healed the woman with just a word, it was done. Or he decided to touch. He touched the leper. He touched some of the sick, as we know that day. The point is that Jesus has all authority over disease and demons. And he demonstrates his love by taking on our burdens. If we look at this story, not just in this one particular point, but with the leopard and the centurion, it's a reminder to us that Jesus demonstrates his love by being our burden barrier. Do you notice what it said there at the very end? He took our illnesses and bore our disease. There's a reason Scripture tells us to cast all our cares on him for he cares for us. You know why? Because you can't carry your burdens, but he can. You can't manage your burdens, but he wants to. He's our burden bearer. Just like he took the fever away from the mother-in-law, he can take the burden away from you if you allow him. He'll do it. But another takeaway we have from this is this, is that our response to Jesus taking our burdens is that we should have a desire to quickly serve him. See, the reason that she got up and immediately served him was because that was her purpose. I have to be hospitable. I am the matriarch. I want to take care of those of my family. And listen, if you're here today and you have a burden that is weighing you down and you truly give that to the Lord in just a moment, listen, your response from this point forward should be to quickly go fulfill the purpose he has for you and serve. That's what happened here. See, when I read this story, in these three stories, there are two things that I notice, and I want to close with this. Two things that I notice. One thing I notice is the struggles that many of us have. Now, I want you to hear me here, because this is important, because I know some of you feel this way. I think when I look at the story, I notice some of the struggles that many of us have. Many of us struggle, we, we kind of feel like we're the leper in the room. We look at our lives, and here's what we see, you ready? We see damaged goods. And we feel like, can you imagine if you were lepered? Is there a part of you that might feel like you were unredeemable? That there's no possibility of redemption for you? Hey, I'm going to die. This disease is going to destroy me. There's no hope. Can I just say some of you, maybe you feel that way today. 
You look at your life and all you see is damaged goods. All you see is pain. And you look at the situation. You come to church and you leave here and here's what you feel like. I'm still hopeless. I'm irredeemable. I mean, there's nothing redeemable about me. Maybe you feel like the leper. Or maybe you don't feel like the centurion. The centurion came and spoke words of faith because he had this unbelievable conviction that Jesus was able. Maybe you're not like him. Maybe you come and speak words of faith, but you don't have this conviction. You don't have the certainty that I really believe with all of my heart that God is listening and that God is able to do what he's promised he will do. See, that's a level of honesty that maybe some of us really got to get to this morning. I want to believe. It's not the guy that ran to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Isn't that kind of crazy? He's like, I have faith, but I'm struggling. And maybe that's where some of you find yourself today. You're struggling. You're, 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 you're at that place where I, I say I have faith, but I'm just not really sure that God is able. Or maybe you're like the mother-in-law. You look at your life and you are sick with where you find yourself. When you look at your life, you are sick with where you've landed. And maybe you feel insignificant today. You feel like you don't matter in the big picture. So one thing when I look at this passage, I think about is maybe some struggles that we have. But let me tell you a second thing that I noticed is this. It's the truth about Jesus. And here's the truth about Jesus. First of all, there are no outcasts for Jesus. None. Amen to that? Aren't you glad? Because some of us are pretty odd, right? There are no outcasts. There are no outcasts. For Jesus, there is no one who's unredeemable. There's no one who's beyond his reach. And there's no one who's insignificant in his kingdom. That is good news for us. Because some of you feel insignificant. Some of you feel unredeemable. Some of you feel like you're struggling with your faith. Listen, there's no one who's beyond his reach. There's no one who's insignificant. And there's no one he cannot redeem. That's the good news of the scripture. See, the thing I love about these passages is this. That Jesus intervenes every one of these stories... And you know what he does at the end? He gives them life, doesn't he? The leopard is destined to die, but Jesus gives him life. The servant is on the deathbed and feeling terrible and excruciating pain. What does Jesus give her? Life. Peter's mother-in-law is feverish and about to die. What does Jesus give her? Life. And not a life of survival but an abundant life, a life of thriving. And for some of us, that's what we need today. So here's my prayer for us. This is is sure as I'm saying, here's my prayer, is that our today, that our actions would begin to speak louder than our words. That we wouldn't just consider the sin that's in our life. If you don't know Christ, that you just wouldn't consider that you are a sinner, but you would consider surrendering your life to him today. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, my prayer is that we wouldn't just consider our faith and just think about where's my faith at, but today there might be something in us to say, Lord, I truly trust you. Today I'm truly going to believe with all of my heart and I have the absolute conviction that you are able to fix my marriage, that you are able to fix my relationships, that you are able to help me handle my money, that you are able, Lord, I'm, I trust you with everything in me. Or maybe here today in your follower of Christ, my prayer for you is this is that maybe instead of just considering all the burdens that were weighing you down, that you would just give them over to him today. So here's the invitation, very simple. If you don't know Christ today, don't just talk about, I need to know Jesus. Don't just talk about, I need to deal with the sin in my life. Would you deal with it? I'm going to be staying right here. We're going to have some deacons on both sides. We'd love for you to come down and, and just talk to them. Say, I, I, just, I just need to deal with the sin in my life. I need to trust Jesus. I need to surrender my life to him. 
Or maybe you're following Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to invite you to come to this altar. To take a knee. Just get before holy God. Say, you know what, Lord? There, there's, there's some things and matters of faith that I'm struggling with. But today, I'm going to put those doubts aside. And I'm just going to trust you. Because I've tried doing it on my own. It's not working. And I'm just going to trust you today, Lord. Or maybe you're here today. And you just need to come and say, Lord, it's not just a matter of faith for me, but it's about burdens. There's some things weighing me down. And I just want to give them to you. I just want to leave them at your altar and trust you with everything that I have. I don't know where God is moving your life, but today this altar is going to be open. And if you need to do business with God, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats in a moment as we sing and to come and do business with him. Salvation. Or maybe you just need to come and trust him with everything. Or maybe you need to come and give him the burdens that are raging in your heart today. I'm going to ask you right now. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm just going to ask you to stand. And I want you to just take a moment, just a moment before I pray. And just ask yourself, which one of these three can you most identify with? Are you that person that doesn't know Christ? Today you need to deal with sin by trusting Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Are you that person that's wrestling with matters of faith because you're trying to do it on your own and you're not truly trusting him? Are you that person that's, that's, that's just got these things that are burdening you, that are weighing you down, and today you truly need to hand those off to him? Wherever you find yourself today, wherever you find yourself, would you just respond to him? Let's pray. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I pray that the song that we're about to sing would be the declaration of our heart, we, that we offer you our heart today, that we hand it over to you. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you. I pray in just a moment that they would step out and trust you with their life, surrender to you. I pray for those who say they have faith, but they're wrestling, that today they would come at this altar and get on their knees and say, Lord, I'm going to trust I choose to trust you. And then, God, I pray for those who came in the room today and they are loaded with burdens. But today, they would just hand them off to you. They would just give them to you knowing that you care for them and you will take care of those. God, I pray you'd be with us. May you move in our hearts today. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, listen to me. I'm going to ask some deacons, Don and whoever, to come over this side of the room. And maybe you just need to talk to somebody. You need to accept Christ. Today's the day to do that. But if you're a follower, listen to me, and you're struggling today, maybe you just need to trust the Lord. Maybe you're trying to figure it out on your own. Can I tell you where that gets you? A headache. Because you're never going to get there. We need him. Amen? We need him. Or if you're coming today, because I know, because I've talked to some of you today, your heart is burdened. You are loaded down. Maybe you just need to come on this rug and at this altar and say, God, I can't figure this out. I just give it to you. I trust you, Lord. I hand it over to you. And if you do that, God will do something awesome in our life. So as you need to move today, would you be faithful to respond as Patrick leads us?